Welcome to the Preaching Matters Podcast. My name is Alan Carr, and I am your host. The Preaching Matters Podcast exists to help preachers become better at what God has called them to do. And in these podcasts, we talk about all matters related to preaching because we believe preaching matters. So thank you for being here today, and I hope the episode is a blessing to you. Now, just up front, if you would, please go to your favorite podcast directory and leave us a positive review. It'll be a help to us. It'll be a great blessing. And that's the best way you can help any podcast. You can reach me at alancar at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes. With that being said, thank you again for being here. Let's go to today's episode and talk about preaching. Welcome back to the Preaching Matters Podcast. This is Alan Carr, and I welcome you to episode number 102. Today, we will talk about some tips for the small church pastor. Now, before I get into that, I want to ask you if you would leave us a positive review on your favorite platform, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of our new episodes, and reach out to me at alancarr at gmail.com if you have concerns, if you have comments, or if you have ideas for our future episodes. I'm not doing this for my health. I'm doing this for you, and I want to try to be a blessing and a help to you, and if I can be, then reach out to me. The idea for this episode was suggested to me by a pastor friend of mine in North Georgia by the name of Josh Deals. Josh, like many of us, pastors a small church. Now, I would consider the church I pastor to be a medium-sized church, but still, in a lot of ways, it is a small church, and I've pastored small churches my entire ministry, and I think it's amazing. You can build relationships there. You can enjoy the goodness of God in that atmosphere. But I want to give you some tips for pastoring a small church. And this will be helpful, especially if you go into a small church as a new pastor, or if you've been there a while, these particular tips can be altered and implemented to suit your particular situation. So I'm just going to jump right into this and share a few tips I have on my mind concerning pastoring a small church. So here we go. There are 17 of them. Number one, spend ample time every day doing nothing but considering what God wants you to do in your life. And what I mean by that is that you spend time with God in his word. You anchor your thoughts with a section of scripture and you spend time worshiping him, talking to him and considering what he's doing in you and wants to do in you and what he wants to do in and through your church. So make it a time when you center your life and your duties upon God and develop an inward core that centers itself around the Lord. So be sure you're anchored in him. And the only way to do that is to have a strong devotional life. You should spend time in the word of God in prayer every day. And if you say to me, well, I don't have time for that. I would say to you, yes, you do. We all have time for that. And if we don't have time for that, then we need to let something else go so that we can spend ample time with God to anchor ourselves in him. That's number one. I don't care if you pastor a church of 10 or 10,000. That is a, that is something you should do in your life every single day. Number two, 
Remember that your ministry to your family is far more important than the ministry itself. A lot of times, families get lost in the shuffle because preachers think they have to be everywhere and do everything for everyone, and yet they don't spend time discipling their own family. Your first mission field, your first congregation, your first responsibility is your wife and your children, and they need to be placed first in your life after God, of course. But as you set up the priorities for your ministry, remember your relationship with God is first, your relationship with your family is second, and then your relationship with your church is third. So be sure you do not put the ministry ahead of your family. There are a lot of stories out there, preachers who have lost their children, preachers who have lost their marriages because they devoted themselves to the church and didn't take care of those God had given them to shepherd first and foremost. So family comes before ministry, always and without exception. Number three, learn to be content with the people and the building God has provided you. Give thanks to him every day for your facilities. Thank God for your congregation every day and talk about it publicly and talk about it constantly. Thank God for how good he's been to your church, how good he's been in giving you the people. Listen, I stand before my people and on a regular basis, I would just tell them, I want you to know, folks, I love you. And I thank God for putting us together. He has made a family out of a bunch of strangers. And I'm grateful for you. Now, there are times when I want to wring their necks. and There are times when I'd like to take them to the woodshed if that were my place. But I love my church. And I thank God for the congregation God has blessed me with. And we need to learn to be content with what we have. Because God has given us what we have. Yet at the same time, we ought to be praying for God to expand the flock, increase our outreach and our influence, while still being thankful for what we have. You might pastor the same people your entire ministry. You might see a few new ones come in, a few old ones go out. You might see children born into the congregation, whatever. But that core, that core family, that core center of the church will remain. And you ought to be thankful for them. Thank God for the people God has given you. You may not be happy with your building, but at least you're not meeting in a field somewhere. You have a place to meet. Give God thanks for that and praise the Lord for it. Number four, if you move into a new community as a small church pastor, you need to realize you'll probably always be an outsider in the community. You weren't raised there. You weren't born there. You're not related to folk there. And you'll always be on the outside looking in in some ways. So just accept it. But counter that with your insider status to the power of God. What I mean by that is you can manifest a supernatural life and those folk will desire to be an insider with God like you. They'll see something in you they want to align themselves with and they will rally around you and it'll be a blessing. When they know the power and reality of your faith in God, they will also want that kind of insider faith, if you will. And so I'm not, I'm not advocating building cliques in the church because you're going to find they're going to be there when you arrive. But at the same time, I am advocating that you accept your status as an outsider in the community, and I'm advocating that you live such a life for God that you will be a magnetic draw for someone else to come alongside you and seek God too. And that's one way we build community in our churches 
and we transcend our these family structures that are in the church. We transcend these generational power structures. That's one way we transcend all of these things that we find in the church, and we bring people into the orbit of God by the way we live, and God will help you to do that. So just remember, you're going to be an outsider. You always will be. You always are. Sometimes you'll never understand where those folk are coming from because they have a history you don't have, and you're not part of that history. Do not challenge that, but be thankful they've got that history, and at the same time realize that you're there to make history. So let God use you to be a help and blessing to that church. Number five, be always be on the lookout for folk in your congregation that you can mentor and disciple. Make that a priority. Take under your wing a young man and help him grow in grace. If you see a young husband that's got potential as a deacon or a leader in your church, uh, go to him and make discipling him a priority. Help him to grow in your faith. And sometimes you'll find people outside the church who need mentoring. I go to a local school and I have lunch with troubled young men. And uh, thank God for that privilege, that opportunity. And I try to mentor those guys. But I'm always on the lookout for somebody in the church I can mentor and help because the church will need leaders in the future. Now, if you get to a church, this is number six. And if there's already a strong leadership base in position, identify who those leaders are. Talk to them about your expectations concerning the church and develop a relationship with them as their pastor. And hopefully they'll be agreeable to this. And if they're not, though, I mean, I've encountered this myself. Don't push it for the first year, but try to draw them in as you share your successes, spiritual successes, and what God is doing in your life. And that'll be a blessing. Disciple those you can, those who won't let you then don't worry about that too much. Just do everything you can in your power to befriend them and to love them and to encourage them. And there may come a day when they'll turn their backs and walk away because they don't want to be under your preaching. You got to accept that too. But take these leaders that realize they were in leadership before you arrived there and do not try to embarrass them publicly. Don't use the pulpit as a as a battering ram to destroy the leadership structure of the church, find ways to work with those men to bring them around to your side and try to help them grow in their faith so they'll be open to you as a pastor. Number seven, I've often given this advice to young men when they go to a new church, but I tell them don't make any major changes the first year. But at the same time, I will counter that by saying, don't be afraid to change something in your first year, because you'll discover there are some people in the church who are looking for change. They want something to change in the church right away. They're looking for the pastor to provide leadership, and they're sitting back languishing in a, I guess, almost a comatose state, waiting for someone to come on the scene who has the guts to step up and change something for the glory of God. But a lot of times we don't because we're afraid of what might happen. Sometimes we're cowards. We simply don't want to take the initiative to do it. We're afraid of what will happen. Sometimes we lack a vision for the congregation, and uh, we just don't change things because we're afraid the congregation might kill us if we do. But we ought to go ahead and change something if we can. If things need to be changed, listen, change them. There are some things that don't need to be changed. Leave it alone because it's working fine. 
But if things do need to be changed right away, don't be afraid to do it. And even if it uh, causes issues, which it may, pray that it doesn't. But if you handle things in the right way, typically the church will accept change. But again, I would stand by the statement that you shouldn't change anything major in the first year. I'm talking about minor stuff. I mean, let me give you an example. If you come in and the church is uh, singing songs that are unbiblical, that simply do not have any, I'm not talking about contemporary and old-fashioned, that kind of thing. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about songs that are unbiblical in their, in their wording. They're just not doctrinally sound. I think it'd be okay to approach the music leader and explain to him from the word of God, listen, this song violates scripture here, here, and here, and we don't need to sing that anymore. And if you do it in the right way, they will agree with you. That'll be a blessing. And so work on those kind of things. All right. Simple stuff, get those things squared away. And then from there, move to bigger things. And as you spend time there and earn the respect of the people, and when they know that you love them and that you're going to put them first in the church and you're going to, you're going to put the church as a priority in your life. You're there to make a difference and they see your heart. They'll follow you and you can lead them to places they've never been. But be careful with change. It can be hard on some people. And if it's hard on the wrong people in certain areas, it's going to be hard on you. So be sure you're up for the task before you jump on it. If it needs to be changed, change it. If it doesn't need to be changed, leave it alone until the time for change comes. Number eight, learn everybody's name, first name and last name, including their kids. Get to know the people in your church. Now, you may have to make some kind of flashcards or you may have to do something like that. And you're going to, you're going to need to do all that you can to learn those folks names, because it'll be a blessing to them when you walk up to them and you call them by their name. There's something personal about that. People appreciate a pastor who knows them and who wants to get to know them. And they're thankful for that. And they will accept you a whole lot sooner. If you learn their names, take the time to do it. You might also want to, number nine, identify the names of all the leaders or quote unquote gatekeepers in your community. And you might want to get to know those folks. You might want to reach out to them because it'll give you opportunities to build relationships with community leaders. Like I'm talking about the police chief, the mayor, those in the fire department, the leadership there. I'm talking about your city councilman. I'm talking about uh, people of that stature and nature because there may come a time when those relationships will be beneficial to the church, but at the same time, you'll have the opportunity to share the gospel with them at some point, and that can affect the community in a very, very large way. And along those same lines, number, number 10, discover the power brokers in the church. Listen, before you got there, there were people, maybe one, maybe two, maybe a dozen, but there are people in that church who hold power in the church, and everybody looks to them. Everybody looks up to them, and when a decision has to be made, they want to find out what so-and-so thinks about it because that person is a leader in the church. Get to know those folks because you're going to need them, and you are going to need them and look for ways to make the power of Christ known to them, and you're going to look for ways to get to know them and to help them and to grow with them, and I would encourage you to figure out who they are and find ways to work with them for God's glory and for the church's good. 
I'll give you this example. When I took the church I pastor now, when I went there, I knew that some folk in leadership had voted against me. They wanted somebody else, and they brought that guy in. He was voted down, and then I followed him. So there was an issue when I first came in. A lot of the powerful people in the church did not want me there as the pastor. I don't know what you would do, but here's what I did. I prayed for those people on a daily basis. And then I went to them individually, and I said, I know you wanted Brother So-and-so to pastor this church, and I'm sorry that he didn't get here, but I am here. And so here's what I want to suggest. I don't, I don't suggest that you accept me, that you just jump in behind me with both feet right now. But what I suggest is, and I'm just asking, that you'll give me a chance. Give me a chance to work with you. Give me a chance to pastor and help me to do that for the glory of God and for the good of his church. And without exception, all those people did. And I thank the Lord for that. It's a blessing. They were open to just letting me come in and be myself. And they were open to giving me the opportunity to either succeed or fail based upon what God wanted. And I thank them for their willingness to do that. So figure out who the power brokers are and uh, learn ways to work with them. If you butt them head on, if you decide you're going to take them down and you're going to destroy their power structure, all you're going to do in the long run is hurt the church and hurt yourself. But learn to work with those people for the glory of God, and that'll be a blessing. And again, I say, don't use the pulpit as a place from which you can abuse them and attack them, okay? Now, another thing you can do, number 12, when you meet people, whether in the church or asked are outside the church, get to know those folks. Ask them some questions. Let me give you some examples. Ask them where they grew up or where have you lived? What do you do? What's your job? Help me understand what you do and what kind of pressures you have. And um, ask them why do they do what they do and things about that. And talk to them about their church background or why did you come to our church? And if they don't go to church, then you can ask them what's your attitude toward church in general. And at some point, you can tell them you'd like to pray for them and then ask them if there's anything that you can pray for them about and get to know them a little bit, and that'll be a blessing. So people will be surprised a lot of times at how interesting and good it is to meet you, the pastor, and they'll not feel pressure to, you'll not feel pressure to convert them or to get them in, get into church politics until you know people. So getting to know people is important. Because people are more important than the church building, okay? And when you get to know people, you'll understand where they're coming from, and you'll understand what, what they have passion for, and then you'll follow up with prayer, and you'll pray that God will turn that passion into a relationship with Christ, and you'll pray that God will help you to grow on what you've learned about them, to uh, help them be a blessing in the church, and to help you be a blessing to them. It's about relationships. If you read the Gospels, everywhere Jesus went, Jesus made relationships. And from those relationships, he evangelized and brought people to faith in himself. Now, you and I can't save anybody, but we can build relationships. And relationships are very, very important in the church. They're especially important in the smaller congregation. Congregations reach a certain level where it's impossible to know everybody if they're too large, but churches like I pastor, churches like most of you guys pastor are small enough where we can know everybody 
and we can learn something about them. So you need to know your people. As I said, learn their names, get to know what they do for a living, find out what they enjoy doing in life, learn who they are. And as you learn who they are and they learn who you are, relationships are forged. And from those relationships, you can build to greater things for the glory of God. Number 13, if you happen to go to a country church and you're not from a rural environment, don't make fun of them. Don't make fun of their rural lifestyle. Don't use big words. Don't be condescending or talk down to them, but be interested in their lives, their problems and their needs and be willing to go the extra mile, helping them out. And the sooner they trust your intentions, the sooner they'll trust your ministry. I remember as a young pastor in my first church, there was a man who was talking one day about getting his hay out of the field. Now, I was raised in Alabama, and I know about gathering hay. I knew a little bit about that. And so I said, hey, what day are you getting your hay up? And he told me. I said, well, Lord willing, if nothing happens between now and then, I'll be in the hay field with you. And that's what I did. I went and drove a truck in the hay field. Well, they got up hay. I just got to know them by being around them and getting involved in their work. So we shouldn't be afraid to get our hands dirty. We shouldn't be afraid to jump in and help folk when they need our help because that's a blessing. All right, number 14, keep this in mind. Normally, pastoring a church is one-third preaching. That includes study and preparation and reading and that kind of thing. It's also going to be about one-third administration. There are going to be meetings, email, phone calls, uh, writing letters, and dealing with chaos in the church, sending text messages, and whatever. And then it's going to be about one-third pastoral care, which is meeting for people. Now, a lot of times it's going to be in a small church, it's going to be a whole lot more pastoral care and a whole lot less of the other. And so you got to be careful about that. you got to be careful that you keep your priorities and keep your balance, but you're going to have to understand that there are going to be a lot of needs in a small church. Smaller churches have greater expectations from their pastors than do larger churches. Because larger congregations know that the pastor can't be everywhere and with everybody. But in a small church, if you're not careful, you'll get sucked into the vortex of thinking you have to be at every surgery. So Brother Johnny is getting his big toenail removed because it's ingrown, and you think you need to be there. You don't. He can handle that just fine without you. If you know it's, it's going to happen, then check up on him afterwards or even before and after. Call him and say, hey, man. I know you're going in to have that toenail taken off today, and I want you to know I'm praying for you. Let me pray with you right now. Pray with him on the phone. All is well. Later on that day after it's done, check on him. How'd it go? Been praying for you. Hope you're okay. That kind of thing. But you don't have to go and sit in the waiting room at the doctor's office for two hours while he has his toenail taken off. So be careful that you don't let all of those pastoral duties take away the time you need to study pray and prepare to preach. So keep everything in perspective in a smaller church. There's going to be a whole lot more demands on you than there will be in a larger church. When you move into a larger church, you'll find that your duties are, are taken up more by administration and that kind of thing. And there's less pastoral care, but you have to, you have to often initiate and be intentional in meeting with anybody because these folk a lot of times aren't going to reach out to you but you'll need to reach out to them again to get to know them and to be involved in their lives. But again, if they want you at the hospital, they'll tell you. If you can't go, let them know you can't go and why you can't go and don't worry about it. 
Okay, they're going to be fine. I promise you, they will be fine. Now, when I started pastoring, it was kind of a thing that regardless of what was going on, the pastor needed to be there. I mean, they wanted you there for everything. But times have changed and people have changed. And now folk no longer care whether I'm there or not. They can go have surgery. And if I'm there, fine. If I'm not there, fine. And typically I don't go out to surgeries any longer unless it is a very major situation where there's a potential of someone dying or something of that nature. And, uh, if it's a particularly serious situation, I'll rearrange my schedule so I can be there for that surgery. But I don't feel like in every case, if somebody's having a gallbladder removed, I don't feel like I have an obligation to be there for that. I'll check on them before check on them after and so on and so forth. As a pastor, my time is better spent in study and sermon preparation and praying for my people than it is sitting in an uncomfortable chair in a hospital waiting room. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but I'm saying you've got to keep each part of your ministry in perspective and you've got to watch it or you'll get overwhelmed. You'll find yourself on Saturday with nothing to preach because you've been so busy throughout the week and you'll find yourself doing a Saturday night special and God forbid you don't ever want to do that. You want to do everything you can to avoid that. So work hard, if you will, to keep every part of your ministry in perspective. All right. Number 15, get to know the church history. Find out who used to go there. Find out what's happened in the church over the years. Learn about their struggles. Learn about the problems they've endured. To figure out where that congregation is today, you have to know where that congregation has been. And one thing you're going to learn about churches over the years is that every church has a personality and not all those personalities are good, but every church has a personality and you've got to figure out the personality of your church and you've got to build on them from where they are to where God wants to take them. So get to know that church's history and find out about it. Number 16. Look at the church constitution, study the church constitution, see how the church is supposed to operate, and then make sure it operates by the constitution and see what the purpose of the church is. The constitution will tell you and make sure that your leadership, the leadership in the church accepts the purpose of the congregation and will work toward its fulfillment. And either if you can't do that, either the purpose of leadership, the pur- either the purpose of the church needs to change or the leadership needs to change. Or the Constitution needs to change, and sometimes they do. But design projects, if you can, to involve the leadership in the fulfillment of the church's purpose. Figure out what the church is supposed to be doing based on the controlling documentation on the Constitution, and then get busy implementing that vision in your church. If the Constitution is outdated, don't be afraid to bring up the idea of changing it and make it more modern, more streamlined, make it where he w- it will work for your congregation. But if the leadership is not going to stand behind you in implementing the provisions of the Constitution, then you're going to have trouble. So get folk on board with you and then go forward to make that church's purpose a reality. Set a vision, what I'm saying, set a vision for the church and lead in that direction. Then number 17. A small church really is not leadership driven. Okay. Small churches are interwoven. 
And this means that people have strong relationships based on uh, blood relationships or a long friendship. And they tend to take the church very personally. Oftentimes you go to a church and you'll that the folk there will see it as their church. And you may want to make some changes or start specific programs. But uh, while they say that that's a good idea, pastor, they'll be looking to see what the church patriarchs or the leadership hierarchy are thinking about it. And if you don't know who the true leadership people are in the church, you'll never get the support or participation you need. Because if you've got some influential leader who is standing opposed to your vision for the church, it's going to hurt you going forward. So figure out again who the power brokers are, work with those people the best you can, and then realize that a small church is an interwoven connection of relationships, long-standing friendships and family relationships. And you've got to work all that out and work within that concept and that construct to get anything done. Because if you stand against that, your tenure is not going to be very, very long. Folk will not stand by and see you destroy relationships and friendships. Sometimes those things have to be pushed. Boundaries have to be pushed and things have to change. But be very careful when you do that and keep the feelings of people in mind. Now, of course, first of all, we should honor the word of God. We should do everything for the glory of the Lord. For the same time, we should be careful how we how we manage things because Sometimes we preachers are like bulls in a china shop. We try to fix things that aren't broken and wind up breaking a whole lot more in the process. So be very careful with what you do. Here are my suggestions to you. If you're a pastor of any size church, number one, you must have had a sincere Christian experience and you must sincerely love the Lord, his work and his people. That is essential. Number two, You need a certain amount of training in the Bible, in organizational skills, and in some methodology for preaching and handling the Word of God. You need some training. That's what you need. Number three, you must be willing to work. Okay? And what I mean by that is you must be willing to do whatever needs to be done at your church. Don't act like you're superior because you're the pastor. Don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. And don't be too proud to ask for help if you need it. There may be times when you'll go to the church and you'll find the toilet is dirty. What do you do? Do you hunt down the janitor and give him a scolding and say, get in there and clean that toilet, man, it looks terrible. Or do you go find the brush and the cleaner and do it yourself? I know what I do. I find the brush and cleaner and do it myself. If I come in and there's a place that needs to be picked up and cleaned up, I'll do it because it's got to be done. And I'm there. Why not do it? You know, instead of fussing on somebody else and thinking I'm too good to do it, jump in and do it. And people will appreciate that. Number four, you got to like people, man. You got to love people and you got to love people more than books, organization, and even your position. You've got to love people. And if we don't love people, we'll never be an effective or good pastor. We must love the people we pastor. Again, there are times when they'll drive you crazy. There are times when you just want to, man, walk away and leave them behind. But you love them, and they need help, and you're the one who can help them. You were sent there to provide that help, and you have the opportunity to be a blessing in their life. And so love them. 
by working with them and put them way up on your list of priorities. Love your people more than you love other things. Number five, walk ahead of the people, leading them gently as a shepherd. And don't try to drive them like they're a flock of goats. They'll follow your leadership if they know you love them. So we're back to where we talked about earlier. Build relationships. Build strong relationships. Get to know people. As they see you and the years go by and they understand that you love them, you can preach anything to them and they will accept it. They may not like it, but they will hear you because they know that you care about them. When they see you burying their dead, marrying their young, and taking care of them and putting their interests first, well, I'm going to tell you, it, people notice that and people are encouraged by that and thank God for it. So build those relationships. I remember one time we took about 50 people out to uh, Wyoming on a mission trip and we got out there and discovered that uh, we had been deceived as to the purpose of that particular mission trip. We spent all that money, about $52,000, getting everybody out there, renting vehicles and hotels and all the stuff we had to do. And then we get out there only to find that our numbers were being used to pad a camp meeting. They really had no mission work for us to do, and it was a shock. It was a shock. And our people were hurt by that, and I understand that. I was more than hurt. I was livid in the moment. But I had to confront that, and I had to protect my people, and that's what I did. And I stood up, spoke up, and we dealt with it, and we moved on. But you, are, you have got to protect your flock. And when they see you protecting them, and they see you loving them, and they see you putting them ahead of other things, uh, as far as the church is concerned, the community is concerned, when they see you taking a stand for their good, they will respect that, and you will earn that respect that gives you a little bit of cachet, a little bit of position of leadership, and the people will follow you as you gently lead them in the things of God. So that was kind of on my heart today. I wanted to kind of answer the question Brother Josh Deals brought up. What about a small church pastor? And there's more that could be said about this because the power structures in small churches a lot of times are difficult to navigate. You've got deacon-led churches, which is not biblical at all. And uh, you've got churches that are led by cliques, which is not biblical at all. You've got churches that are led by the women's auxiliary that is not biblical at all. And you've got to go into those situations and you've got to lead them from where they are to where they should be. And it's hard work. But what you got to do again, love God first, love him supremely. Put your family second in your life. And then number three, Love the people of God. Love them enough to preach the truth to them. Love them enough to fight for them. Love them enough to get your hands dirty with them. Love them enough to minister to them and to help them to grow in grace. They'll not forget it. God will use you in it, and it'll be a blessing to all involved. Well, that's what I want to say today. Thank you so much for stopping by, and I hope you'll come back next time. We'll talk more about preaching. And uh, you know why preaching matters, of course, but please reach out to me. Let me know what you think and leave us that review. That would help us so much in the algorithms and be sure and pray more than anything for this podcast that God will bless it. So you keep preaching 
You hang in there. Don't let them get to you, man. Just keep going for the glory of God. And one of these days, we'll step out of time into eternity and be in the presence of our Savior. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that. But until then, keep preaching because preaching matters. God bless you. Thank you for listening today to the Preaching Matters Podcast. I hope you learned something. Hope you got some help in your ministry. Please pray until next time and come back next week when we'll have a new episode, Lord willing. Until then, keep preaching because preaching matters. Matters.